Welcome to the Prince Library Lounge. I'm your host, Vicky Walbarn, and I'm joining you from the Prince headquarters in Aarhus, Denmark. Here on the Prince Library Lounge, we have insightful conversations with library professionals from around the world, where they will share their thoughts on topics that are important and impactful to the library community. We hope you enjoy the episode, so let's get to it. Princh Library Lounge is brought to you by Princh, the preferred printing solution in Scandinavia. Princh is a user-friendly printing solution made for libraries with libraries. Check out Princh.com for more details. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for episode four of the Princh Library Lounge. I'm your host, Mark LaPointe. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Maxine Bleiweiss and Bill Derry, who will be discussing library innovation on today's episode. Maxine is the former director of Westport Libraries, a library uh, innovation consultant, coach, speaker, and librarian. Bill uh, is a former director of innovation at the Westport Library and a library consultant. So before we dive into the discussion today on library innovation, I just want to throw it to our guests to explain themselves and introduce themselves a bit better than I have. So why don't we start with you, Maxine? You can give a little intro to yourself. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. And hello to everybody who's listening. So my background is that I had a career of being a public library director as soon as I got my degree in the U.S. in three different libraries in Connecticut. And actually, I really shouldn't have become a librarian because I didn't fit in with that cerebral learning style. I always learned by talking and listening and doing more than from reading. So I was overjoyed when we were freed to add innovation and experiential learning to our library. In 2011, I invited Bill Derry, who you'll hear from in a second, to join our library staff with the title of Head of Innovation. And that's when we seriously took on efforts that led to creating our big makerspace that opened in 2012, smack in the middle of the library. Excellent. Thank you. And Bill, uh, do you want to say a couple words? Sure. Thanks, Mark. It's uh, fun to be doing this today. Uh, Hi to everybody out there. Um, My background, I I started as a classroom teacher and moved into drama and education and then moved into school library media and supervising as an administrator. And finally, um, after almost 40 years, retiring, and Maxine made the call. That changed uh, the nature of my reality, and I became the director of innovation at the Westport Library and played and worked with Maxine. And after I started working with Maxine, my biggest aha moment came when I went to this internet librarian workshop in Monterey where John Seely Brown was the keynote. And he looked at all these librarians and said, you know, you think we're in the information age. And everyone sort of nodded a little bit. This was 2011, remember? And he said, that's long gone. We're in the imagination age now. And it really resonated with me and and just made me look at things differently. Because if if you're not just putting, trying to find the information, which we can now do so easily, but trying to help people put it together in new ways. That's a whole different world. And he said this make movement, this maker movement, he talked about the Bay Area Maker Fair. He said, libraries, they have an opportunity because people in their communities are really confused about what's going on. They, they want to get some help on understanding this. And the maker movement gives hands-on activities that could help your community. 
So when we got back, I mean, I talked to Maxine about this. She, I said, you know, this maker movement and um, this imagination. And don't you know that this local technology guru came to us and said he wanted to put on a maker fair in Westport. Could he use a room in the library? And Maxine said, you know, wait a minute, this is an opportunity. Why don't we tell him, no, you can't use a room, but you can have the whole library and the staff and we'll co-produce it with you. So that began this uh, process of getting involved in the maker movement. And only seven weeks later, we had this funky, edgy, modern, see-through, 20 foot by 16 foot space in the center of the library called the maker space. And basically, um, the most important thing was we had the freedom and flexibility to do whatever we could to help people be successful in a new way. Awesome. That, that's, that's amazing. And as we can hear, uh, this tandem and both like, for both of you are the perfect guests to discuss library innovation. And I guess with that, we'll, we'll roll right into the discussion. Um, so, I mean, you hear the term library innovation. Um, you hear that a library is, quote unquote, innovative. But I guess for our listeners, what does that mean to you or what does that entail uh, for you? Is there a, one characteristic or initiative that qualifies a library to be innovative or be considered innovative? Um, Maxine, why don't you start? Sure. Um, I think it's being open. It's being open to ideas. It's being open to new thinking. It's watching potential trends before they actually become trends. It's what I call... <laughs> kind of funny to say, but being in dating mode, because when you're in dating mode, anything can happen. And when you're not, you're closed off. So you have to be able to see the world from outside the library walls. And I've always found it so helpful to constantly say the question, where's the library in this, no matter what you read or see or experience. And then most of important, most important of all is having the right staff to choreograph it and to curate it. And of course, for us, that's where Bill came in. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I know when I came to the library, uh, Maxine um, wanted people to go out and find new, new, new uh, ideas and things that could be integrated back into the library. So having scouts who go out um, to relevant and important conferences um, that to focus on trends and new ideas is really important. And these scouts have to be empowered, not told, you know, to come back and try some of these ideas with staff and with patrons in order to engage the staff and patrons in new and interesting and usually participatory, because it seems like, you know, that's what people are looking for, different activities that are meaningful. It means staying fresh and relevant by looking for ideas, you know, outside the library profession, What's working well and might be adapted from museums, hardware stores, you know, schools, coffee shops, et cetera. You know, getting feedback and reflecting and acting really becomes important. Yeah. And ba back to staff, the structure that surrounds the library staff is so key. You know, so much can hold us back, especially when we're a little timid about it, um, even when the right people are in place. So like having restrictive job descriptions and barriers to our service in our spaces, like you know, big service desks and screens that get between potential interactions with people entering. So you know, an innovative library telegraphs the vibe as you approach. And that vibe tells you that you're entering a space of wonder and exploration. If you choose to do that on any given day, it's, it's super exciting. 
Yeah, that that's great. I mean, a couple things there is unique is the staffing uh, mention as well as the scouting. I, I think I know for me, and I, I'm sure for some of the listeners, that's a unique approach because. I think sometimes it is very um, solidified that there's a certain way to do something and and there, and libraries are set in a way. So to have something like uh, the word scouts and to go see what could work, what what's new that could maybe come in or like Maxime is just saying with staffing is just making sure you're not restricting the staff, empowering the staff. I think that's quite, quite important. Um, so, I, I mean, from there, I kind of want to talk about the importance of innovation in libraries. And as we've kind of seen, that could mean innovation as technology. But as both uh, Bill and Maxine have brought up um, in regards to staffing, hiring and procedures. So, uh, Maxine, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, Mark, in, in general, you know, just remembering that libraries can't become stagnant. You know, they have to absolutely have to be relevant. And you're not a nostalgic place of the past, even though the past, you know, informs the future. But you exist because of the people in your community. And those people absolutely need to learn how to cope and thrive in an ever-changing landscape. Um, And at the same time, libraries are that, you know, kind of safe, neutral place and natural place to take risks and to try out new things. Um, I always thought one of the biggest compliments that a library can can get is when someone says, I learned about that first at my library. You know, I think it really builds trust and confidence in the institution. And the next time someone hears about something they don't know about, they'll think of the library as a place to explore it. They need to count on, on that place in their community. Exactly. I mean, you want to be that place that people look to because it's the place that's going to have their success in mind as opposed to, you know, going to retail. It, it, public library spaces are for all ages. So new ideas attract people at different stages of their life, as well as from different backgrounds, which, you know, creates this opportunity for an intergenerational experience. And that was very different from my background as a teacher, where I was confined to the age group uh, of the group I was working with. Here, you've got all ages. And uh, people aren't separated. They're pulled together in new ways. Um, people want to go where there's a vibe, like Maxine said, and where others are drawn. So new products and services provide people with a sense of awe. And most people want to touch the future and view what is coming. That's always been what happens at the library. The newer things are there. That's where they get to play with them. It feeds their curiosity, I think. Yeah, I think the important thing touched on there, a safe place to take risks. I think, I mean, that's very well put. Because that really, to me anyway, embodies what a library is. And I mean, we always hear you have to push outside your comfort zones um, and, and take risks to you know achieve goals or be successful. And what better place than the library, especially if it's that safe place. So like you guys mentioned, I mean, being innovative and, and sharing that with the community because that, that, that's who you're supporting and that's the relationship between a library and the community is so important. And I believe if I got that right, Maxine, exists because of the people in the community, the library. So, yes, that's so important. And I think that's that's really an important part that sometimes I think is missed and maybe not highlighted. So I'm glad you guys brought that up. Yeah, Mark, I, I, one of the things that I used to use as a barometer is if 
anybody said, I'm not a library person, I think, oh, why not? You know, uh, the goal was to make everybody feel like they were a library person because they could relate to, to something that was going on there. Yeah, definitely. From this conversation, I guess another common uh, question that arises is, how can a library support innovation? So, I mean, a lot of libraries will probably agree or already think like, yeah, we need to be innovative. We need to be innovative in the way we think and, and we have initiatives and act, but maybe they're not sure how to do it or what the first step is. So how can a library support innovation, um, both like, I guess, aggressively in making big plays, but even just the subtle uh, changes that can start them on the right path? You know, one of the things that I found when I went to the public library was that um, it is an it, it is a system that thrives and depends on the outside. It's an open system, whereas school libraries, which I had been in for almost 40 years, were closed systems. So I would suggest that the public library starts with its most natural um, area of of expertise, and that is probably start from the outside. Because how does your building call people in? What, what do you see when you enter first? How does it provide information to you about you know, your lights and your interests? Where can I go to relax and then go into learning, thinking, or meeting mode? You know, once you start attracting certain people of, of like minds, so in our case, it was inventors and, and innovators, guess what? They invite more people in like that. And the application right now of design thinking is really getting a lot of attention because it provides yet another tool to not only learn what programs and resources your patrons are really interested in because you know you do you ask them you you get you set up programs to find out what they like what they want but it's also a method that literally helps develop participatory programming it's a human centered process you know, it uses convergent and divergent thinking. Often um, the one that's quoted is Stanford's five-step design thinking process. It goes from empathy to ideate, to, uh, to actually to define, to ideate, prototype, and test. And we learned it's a lot better to use the system than to teach the system. Um, allowing failure is a key disposition and you wanna use it with your staff and with patrons. But if, it's, if failing is, is, a, is a disposition set by the administration, it has to be set by the administration because people need to know for sure that if they fail, they're not going to jeopardize their position and that they actually are asked to take courage to do something which in fact may fail. And somewhat, sometimes you use those failures and the side effects of failures to help you with the next thing. And guess what? Sometimes you don't. It's just a failure and you move on. But you've got to have that as part of the culture. Right, Maxine? You're right. Um, I, I used to all the time set the example of saying out loud what I had failed at in that, in that day or week to, to kind of make people relax about it. Um, but all that that you expect the staff to do requires having the right staff. So I found, as when I was observing Bill in his role not in the library, that um, you have to always be in recruitment mode outside uh, your walls, outside the library profession, and invite people to consider working with you from other professions like theater. Um, think of that, or hospitality. Those kinds of uh, places where people are trained to deal with change on a daily basis or several times a day. Um, it's like, you know, try, try having a, a changing team model 
rather than rigid departments in your library so that you're more fluid and you could you could change it up and and things like seniority don't um, uh, rule how how you do things and have job titles that encourage flexibility so for instance we changed our title head of reference to team leader for learning and discovery because you know the old reference model just isn't relevant anymore. Um, that really worked. And, you know, create an atmosphere where staff talk about what they're observing and hearing about, and then, you know, bring it into the, the thinking and the, and the work of the library. At staff meetings, I always made it a practice to go around the room. And first of all, at staff meetings were for everybody. Uh, didn't matter how many hours you work or what your position was. And Often the, the coolest stuff came from the building maintenance staff or the shelvers or the person who worked very part-time. Uh, so, so it was creating that atmosphere for them that, that allowed them to have, have, um, have agency and own the place. Yeah. We were actually, um, as Maxine said, given agency to try new things. It was encouraged, not just encouraged. I mean, it wasn't that it was it wasn't this forced expectation. It was built into the culture that it was time to try new things. And we went at one point, um, we had a all town reads book focusing on Amelia Earhart. So what we did is just focused on creating paper airplanes and flying them um, to see which staff member could make their plane fly the furthest. And what was it about it? Uh, that made it fly further. So lots of questioning. And it didn't matter what your title was or how long you'd been working there. Um, we even had a session to learn to solder and something we all did together. But you know the library culture is changing when a group of librarians are soldering together. It, it helped break down a lot of existing walls and say, hmm, this world is a little different that we're working in now. What else can we do? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's amazing to hear because um, I think there is a lot of traditional thought process of hiring, and I think both these points are, are very good. I mean, in regards to empowering uh, the workers and including everyone, I mean, of course, we're, we're discussing libraries, but I think that holds true in, in many businesses, but specifically the library, it's nice to see that aspect's brought in. I, I was just wondering, uh, off that point, um, what was what was the reaction? I, I, I'm assuming at uh, Westport Library, um, a lot of these stories uh, that you're referencing is where it occurred. But maybe if you could share a little bit of what was the reaction when employees saw that their voice was being encouraged and empowered, and and also these these recruiting tools are being used. Was there a very positive uh, response from it, or was there? Not really anything. I, I'm kind of curious if, if there was even noticed by the, by employees. Well, from the get-go, people knew what they were getting into. When they were interviewed, um, uh, all the way through the interview process, they, they understood that no matter what position they held there, that they were the library. And one of the words that I just wouldn't kind of allow was the word only. Like, I'm only a, uh, you know. Um, so, so they knew that, that we were counting on them, that they were important and, uh, uh, that they could just bring magic to us. And, 
And when it wasn't just lip service, anybody who came in with an idea, we figured out a way for it to work uh, on our um, staff development days that was completely taken over by, by staff um, who demonstrated what they knew, whatever it was, uh, didn't have to, you know, specifically be a, a, a library skill. And uh, so, you know, when you, when you really put your money where your mouth is, you, you're able to, uh, people are able to say, yeah, they really mean it. And uh, I mean, just realistically, Mark, I mean, of course it isn't a hundred percent. I mean, it is, it creates a culture where disruption is the norm and people coming to terms with that isn't always easy. Um, some people take to it, like if I, I, I happen to thrive on chaos um, and, and disruption, and I, it, it's a challenging thing. And I think the nature of, of what Maxine was doing and what I was doing with workshops was to get people more comfortable with that feeling of we are creating something new. We are at the forefront. Um, but to say that everybody was like, oh, happy, happy. Um, no, there were, there were some people who didn't know what to do. And, and hopefully um, we saw changes. We saw people who weren't doing anything take leadership roles. And that was the beauty of the way the teams were changed frequently. And people were asked, what do they want to do? And they would come up with new ideas for teens or children because it wasn't just, it was cross-departmental these ideas. So um, I don't know. I hope that helps. See, it wasn't like all airy, fairy, dreamy, like everything was beautiful. Um, but what it was is it was new and exciting and challenging and people were feeling that. No, yeah, definitely. I, and you're never, you're never always going to be able to get the situation where 100% everyone uh, might be totally with something. But right. to see people develop and, and change and grow, I think that's important. Um, and I mean, going off of uh, the last podcast when we talked about building global networks and sharing ideas, I'm, this is an idea that I hope the listeners and other libraries make sure that they, um, in some form or fashion, try to implement and, and try to use because, I mean, empowering the work staff, you never know what ideas that they have um, and just getting the, the best out of the employees they have um, that maybe they didn't feel comfortable before. So. I think these points uh, are amazing and uh, kind of segue in, in, into one of the final um, discussion points that we have, but it's a good one and, and one I think we can um, dive into a bit more um, is does the library, does library innovation have to be technology related? So as we've discussed, I think we've kind of answered it already, but I think it's important just to specifically uh, maybe glance over and, and talk again because mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when you hear the word innovation or you hear library innovation, you, you, you think technology specifically. And of course, that does play a part in it. But I'm hoping from the conversation we're having today and, and going forward that they understand that innovation can be other things. So um, I guess just your thoughts on that and, and Bill, do you maybe with that? Sure. Uh, I mean, the answer to that is yes and no. But I think we, we need to hear the no first because innovation is much more of a mindset than it is a set of tools. Um, you know, working with needle and thread, cardboard, pegboards, rubber bands, drama games, you know, moving your or changing furniture or adding movable walls or makers and residents who may or may not use technology, you know, can change 
and, and expand your culture. So we, we found that um, it helps to have the flexible spaces so that people can learn together at one time of day and separately at others. And our, our maker in residence, for example, our first maker in residence was this guy, Joseph Schott, and, and really talented engineer and architect um, who drew, he was sitting cross-legged on the floor one day after um, we had decided that a makerspace was really important. And he was drawing airplanes in the great hall of the library. And he, he looked up and Maxine was there and he goes, I just visualized this as being a place for two um, GB fighting, fast speeding airplanes going through the space. Like a flight of the imagination was what he said. And it just, it was the perfect first project to get the patrons, hundreds of patrons actually, involved in wood and making this puzzle half size. So it wasn't a small project, two GB airplanes that eventually flew um, up. Well, they were hung and they looked like they were flying. And there was a big problem with how to make the propeller. And one of our patrons who, who slept in his truck, he provided the answer. He looked at it and he goes, you know, I think you should have a see-through plastic propeller and you can draw some black lines on it, like in a cartoon and it make, it'll make it look like it's moving. And that was it. That was the idea. And it worked beautifully. And the two planes looked like they were flying through the Great Hall. Now that was a low tech to no tech. I mean, it used power tools, but it didn't use what we normally think now of like programming, strawberry pies, Arduinos, the higher level technology. It was almost a you could say no technology uh, because mo they use hand tools to create these uh, airplanes. Right, Maxine? That's right. And, and I also think there's an art to looking at people in your community as your resources. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy way to build community and mm. to think of your public as like the new books on the shelves. Um, you know, and, and being age agnostic is, is so, so important and accommodating those different learning styles. Um, and, you know, speaking of technology, there's all sorts of new concerns about too much technology. And I don't know if, if people read about in Silicon Valley, California, parents who work in the tech world have been asking their caregivers to actually sign a contract saying they agree not to use technology or even look at their phones while caring for, for children. So, you know, we have to make people feel comfortable in our spaces so that they can learn. And um, uh, we probably all need low tech or no tech areas to recharge our batteries and, you know, kind of stop and listen and wonder. And, and that's what innovation also allows. So yeah, no, technology is not, is not the key. It's looking at things with, with fresh eyes. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The, there's, a, there's a balance to it. Of course, libraries being that community hub and a place where they can learn about technology is important, but having spaces where they can have no tech or low tech areas to, to get kind of back to the basics, if you will, I think is also is quite important. And, and just in regards to the story uh, Bill told, I think it's quite fascinating that you kind of started with an idea involved the community and then got results. So in regards to the plane, and I think that, embodies the library completely that whole process there so i think that that's actually an amazing story but also unique because it it, it you know it, it's what all libraries i think 
um, strive to be or, or, or are doing. So it's, it's really great to hear. Um, so again, I, I mean, on that note, great discussion. I want to thank you guys both so much for sharing your information, sharing your stories. It's, it's been amazing. Um, but before we, we sign off officially, maybe any last thoughts on, on topics as well as if people want to reach out to you and continue the conversation, uh, how can they do that or where can they do that? Um, Maxine, do you want to start sure. with that? Sure. Um, it's just my name, so that's easy. It's Maxine at MaxineBlyweiss.com. Um, or you can find me on, on LinkedIn or Facebook. And with a name like mine, it's easy to find. I'm the only one. Uh, so love, 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 love to hear about, about um, what people are thinking and doing because I use it as examples when I, when I speak and, and help people to have the courage to do great things. And I can be reached at uh, BillDerry at gmail.com. It's just B-I-L-L-D-E-R-R-Y. And um, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, that's my feed. Um, and I look forward to any questions or comments that you might have. So contact me. Perfect. So again, thank you so much, guys. It's, it's been a blast. Uh, I'm excited for our listeners to be able to hear this and, and hear their thoughts on this. Um, so yeah, thanks again uh, for joining us for episode four of the Prince Library Lounge and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Maxine. Thanks, Bill. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Prince Library Lounge. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and spread the word to other library professionals. If you want to learn more about today's episode, check out the Prince Library Lounge website at prince.com slash podcast. We will be back next month with the next episode and until then, happy librarian!